Good morning. I'm like Pastor Josh this morning. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon um, on, the, on the sin of sexual abuse and trauma. I'm 48 years old. I've always been in church, and I don't think I've ever heard it from one preacher. And I've been in a lot of churches, and that's a shame. It should have been addressed. It should be addressed. And if you know anything about Imago, whether you've been here for a minute or ten, you know that we don't play by those rules. We're going to address it because we know that there are those of us that sit in these pews and watch this live stream that have been impacted by this particular sin. I'm praying today that we find some hope and just a small measure of healing through the words. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 58, um, 6 through 12. Now, let me preface this for just a second. Uh, the Israelite people, the Hebrews are far from God, and God sends Isaiah to speak to the people. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, hey, I see your piety. I get it. You look really good on the outside. Your righteousness is for all the world to see. But I've got a problem with you. Because you look good, you ain't acting good. You are not helping those who need help. And I have a problem with that. And so Isaiah picks up here. <clears throat> no, what I want in a fast is this. To liberate those tied down and held back by injustice. To lighten the load of those heavily burdened. To free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none and giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes to those who need them, but not neglecting your own family. Then, oh then, your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. In an instant, you will be healed. Your rightness will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Then when you do call out, my God, where are you? The eternal one will answer, I am here. I am here. If you remove the yoke of oppression from the downtrodden among you, stop accusing others and do away with mean and inflammatory speech. If you make sure that the hungry and oppressed have all that they need, then your light will shine in the darkness and even your bleakest moments will be as bright as a clear day. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You will be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You will discover that there are people among your own who can rebuild this broken-down city out of the ancient ruins. You will firm up its ancient foundations, and all around you others will call you repairer of broken down walls and rebuilder of livable streets. I also have a story of sexual abuse as a child, sexual assault and rape at the age of 15 and 19. But I'm not here today to talk about that story. But I do share it with you so that you understand that I do not approach this topic without experience on the devastation of sexual trauma. I am not above you in this. I'm not preaching at anyone today. I'm preaching with all of us 
who share stories of sexual trauma and for those who love them. I want to talk about three things this morning. The first one is, is what, a, what is a healthy response to sexual trauma from the church? How can the church bear the burden of sexual trauma survivors? First of all, the church can help by doggone reporting it. Could we just start there? Stop sweeping this under the rug. Quit hiding it. Somebody comes to you, report it. We can do that, right? We can start there. But not also reporting it, but by believing the survivor. The church can lighten, lighten the load by letting them know that we are a safe space and a soft place for them to land. They can be vulnerable with us, and we will keep their confidence. The church should be a place of safety for the survivor. We also can lighten the load of the heavily burdened, liberate those tied down by injustice and held back by oppression by recognizing sexual trauma survivors are heavily burdened people. The word heavy in the Hebrew means yoke, and the word burden means bonds or cords as used in slavery. People who have been sexually abused can feel a sense of helplessness over their own reactions to situations as adults. Some of us will think, have this internal monologue of, I can't help it, I can't change, I will always be a fearful person, I will always be a naively trusting person, or a trusting no one at all kind of person, or an angry person, or an emotionally engaged, disengaged person, and so on. The lasting results of sexual trauma can make one feel yoked to the memories of the trauma, yoked to false shame, unfounded guilt, fears and phobias, and all the ways that we respond to things afterwards. It can feel like a metaphorical slavery that we cannot break free from. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk in The Body Keeps the Score shares that when we are in trauma, our bodies naturally secrete the stress hormones, hormones that we need to survive, such as fight or flight, just like Josh just shared. But when the capacity to fight or flee is physically taken away from us, it disrupts our body's coping mechanisms. Those stress hormones are still being secreted, but we cannot use them to protect us. Down the line as adults, when stressors come our way, our body remembers that time when we were unable to access those protective instincts. And we can react in ways that make us feel stuck, unhealthy, unproductive, in bondage, oppressed. We carry these unhealthy coping mechanisms into adulthood and we wreak havoc on our closest relationships. And this is burdensome to the sexual trauma survivor. We also can liberate those tied down by injustice by walking beside them if a criminal charge can be, be executed. You know, some of the, sometimes this survivor goes through this process alone. We can be there for them if needed. We also can shatter their oppression by getting them to a trauma specialist and by recognizing we are not one unless we are. Some of you in this church, you are trauma, tra trauma specialist. I am not. I can listen to you. I can give you some counsel, some things that have worked for me or are working for me, some things that didn't. But that's about as far as I can go. You need a, tr you need a trauma specialist. We can help you find one. We can help pay for it if you need, to, if you need that from us. We can make that happen. 
We, the church can also do, what the church also can do is not telling them they have to forgive. No, what they need to find is health and wholeness for themselves first. And not by giving them a false definition of what forgiveness is. So the second question I want to look at today is, what forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not forgetting. There is no such thing as spiritual amnesia, although I wish to God there was. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? If we could just be white? Man, that would be great. But it doesn't happen. And I heard so many sermons from my teens and my 20s in particular of forgive and forget from behind a pulpit. I don't know if you have too. But we haven't forgiven if we still remember it. And there's a verse in Jeremiah that was used to, to prop this theology up of, well, God says in Jeremiah that I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. Well, God doesn't remember them, so we should forget just like God forgets. A small problem with that. That word remember right there does not mean amnesia. It means to make no mention of anymore. God says, I forgive your sins, and I no longer hold them against you. I'm not bringing them up to you. Here's the difference between you and God. We don't have that capacity. Of course we remember, because we're human. And we probably will make mention of it. And we probably will hold it against them, and we should. If this is not an, if the, Obviously, this is not a safe person. But we don't forget. That's not for us. God never asks us to forget. Forgiveness also does not always mean reconciliation. Jamar Tisby says that there can be no reconciliation without repentance. There can be no repentance without confession, and there can be no confession without the truth. There must be truth between us for us to be reconciled. Romans 12, 17, 17 through 18 says, Repaying no one evil for evil, evil, providing things in good countenance with all human beings, and if possible with you, be at peace with all human beings. We know we don't repay evil for evil. We're, that's clear. We, we allow the justice system to do that. But if there cannot be tr truth between us, then peace is not possible. And that's, where either, that's when you get to choose for yourself whether or not there will be reconciliation. This choice is yours. It's your decision. Your friends don't, do not get to tell you what, 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 that, what that looks like. Not your spouse, not your parents, not your pastor. This is your word. Forgiveness is not a one-time deal. It's a life's work, and it probably will take your whole life to work through. And here's the deal. You and I, we deserve that time and space to work through that. Emily Joy Allison says, Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself when and if you are ready. It is not obligatory, and it should not hold you hostage. It is certainly not something you must sacrifice your own health or well-being to extend to someone else. This is your choice. My favorite, one of my favorite quotes from Anne Lamott is, Earth is forgiveness school. And we are at best B-minus or C-plus students. We do the best we can. That's just all that there is to it. But it is work that we do alone. We get counsel from friends, loved ones, a counselor. But ultimately, you get to decide, and I get to decide, 
how this will work or not work. The agency over our bodies was violently, carelessly, and selfishly taken away from us. But no one gets to take our agency away in how or if we abuse our, forgive our abuser. There are days, even yesterday, when I did not forgive my abuser. And there are days that I do. It's a life's work. The last thing that I want to say is, um, how does this or address is, how does the sexual trauma survivor find well-being, resilience, and wholeness? I will tell you what's working for me. And I want you to notice that I used the verb working, not worked. Because I have not arrived at some magical place of well-being, resilience, and wholeness. I still have broken places that will need tending to. The difference for me at 48, 35 years after my abuse technically ended, I see my broken places quicker than I used to. And I make the choice to address them or not. But one way that you can be on your way to some well-being and, and healing is to tell your story. Find someone who is safe, who will honor your dignity and your, um, your own Imago day. Acknowledge that it happened. My silence only fueled my shame and humiliation, which does not and did not belong to me. We deserve to have our dignity and our worth rebuilt. We deserve to learn a better way to view our bodies, to see them as fearfully and wonderfully made. And God called these bodies good. We deserve to hear that over and over until it becomes truth within the marrow of our bones. We have earned the right to reject falsehoods planted in our brains from abuse. It was my fault. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have argued with him or her. I shouldn't have dressed like that. We have earned the right to reject that shaming self-talk. And when I say tell your story, tell it as many times as you can to whoever God puts in your path that you think you can share that with. Every time I tell my story, there's another layer of healing for me. It's just another layer. It's healing just to say it out loud. This happened to me. We also need help processing the trauma again. Richard Rohr says that if we don't transform the pain, we transmit it onto others. I have transmitted my pain onto others. Ask my children or my close friends or maybe even an ex-husband. Never mind, don't ask him. We transmit this pain onto others. And we've got to learn what it means to transform it for ourselves and for those we love. Find someone who specializes in counseling sexual trauma survivors. Again, we can help you do that. Josh and I can help you do that. We have so many resources. We have the means and the avenue to find that for you. Please ask us. Finally, healing, like forgiveness, is a lifelong process. And again, again, I believe we work through this in layers. I still have issues with so many different things. 
I have trouble speaking uh, my mind when I, about how I really feel about a situation. I tend to clam up because my, my voice as a child was ignored and it was not valued. I'm working through that now. It's a lifelong process. Psalm, 20, Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the heartbroken and bandages their wounds. Heals and bandages. Those verbs are not past tense. They are happening now, and they will happen again and again and again. This work is the part where we also get to take agency over our bodies. We do the work of healing by telling our story, working with a trauma specialist, taking care of our bodies through movement and good nourishment, learn boundaries, and when we see unhealthy coping mechanisms, work on them. All of this can take a lifetime. And let me just go ahead and say this because I've said this to myself for years. It is not fair that our perpetrators do not have to do this hard, lifelong work. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not fair. And we are okay to be mad about that because it's not. Even if they are criminally prosecuted, we still have the burden of healing from this. We deserved better. And let me just throw this out here, just in a sentence, because this is a whole sermon in and of itself. God had absolutely nothing to do with this. Nada. Nothing. It was not orchestrated by God for some grand plan that we could help others and to make us stronger. Our trust was taken advantage of. We trusted our parents not to harm us. We trusted our caregivers, our grandparents, our siblings, our pastors to not harm us. We trusted that this guy that we're dating would not harm us. We trusted our homes, our dorm rooms, our bedrooms, and they proved unsafe. We trusted that strangers would not harm us. And our trust was shattered, and we deserved better. Oprah Winfrey is credited with a particular quote that I, that I do love, and I, I researched this to the nth degree, and I cannot find who really said it. But she says, Forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could have been any different. And that's a lifelong process as well, too. It's accepting the past for what it was and using this moment and this time to help move yourself forward. The past cannot be changed. But neither does it have to be wasted either. We can redeem what was stolen from us if we allow God to do that through us, through healing. What they did was evil. But we get to determine what good comes from it. It's our choice to determine what good can come out of it. Finally, it's our choice. I'll leave you with this last quote by Shauna Nyquist. What I know, every single thing you've been given, even the things you never wanted, can become the tools for healing and growth. Use it all. The pain, the betrayal, the fear. They'll build inside of you a powerful inner scaffolding. It will make you incandescent, and it will make you brave.
may God make it so.